On this episode, you'll hear from Rich Airy, a three-time top 20 Leadville finisher, experience in CrossFit endurance, his evolution to ultras, life at the Jersey Shore, and the distinction between under-recovered versus overtrained, and the ultimate importance of strength as a foundation for recovery. All right, Rich Airy, welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, good, uh, good to be able to reconnect with you. And then, uh, yeah, I'm always stoked when uh, when I see see people that are you know into the same things and stuff. So I've, before we connected, I saw you know was following you and seeing you posting some of the same stuff and following the same people. So it's always uh, good to geek out on that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was telling my wife beforehand um, about preparing for the podcast and everything and talking about you and I was just started thinking back. I mean, we've known each other since early high school and I started doing the math, which is kind of scary. It's nearly <laughs> 30 years and uh, it's nuts. I was thinking back and I was like, I was trying to think about when I was probably a freshman cross country, but uh, yeah. the running camps Yep. Uh, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Keith. about those today as well. <laughs> those were fun times, man. Yeah, I mean the 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 training with with the, you guys at Colt Camp and and having you know Coach Heath welcome me and and let me train in the summer and stuff with you guys and then continuing that after college I definitely you know I learned a lot of a lot of stuff about hard work and and you know some of the recovery stuff that we still do today is stuff that we talked about you know we're doing back in the early 90s you know so. yeah yeah there's some some things that just you know they're just foundational you know the basics like sleep nutrition you know and uh and just taking care of yourself that way but um yeah it, it's it's kind of crazy but um so speaking of which so back in new jersey to 30 years ago um plus you grew up in point pleasant Right. Yeah. And so how did your running career get started? Uh, I was one of those kids back when it really wasn't a thing per se, I guess. I mean, I guess it was, it was out there, but you know, you kind of see it a little bit more now where mom and dad were runners. Um, and so they, they were still actively racing when I was young and I would get, you know, dragged to races. And, um, you know, if, if I was, fortunate enough, uh, you know, an aunt or an uncle or something would tag along and they would watch me. And then when it got to a certain point, they started having those, you know, they had those mile fun runs and stuff like that. And it was just something for me to do and yeah, had had success with it and enjoyed it. And I think when you're that age and you have success with something, you kind of gravitate towards it and being, you know, now at 44, 5'4", 130 pounds on a good day, you know, <laughs> thing, things like football and basketball really weren't you know, they weren't into the equation. So things like running and wrestling where size didn't really matter or you have a weight class, um, you know, those were the sports that I stuck to. Okay. So you did wrestling too. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was, uh, I qualified for States twice. I finished uh, second, third in region six. Um, and oh, wow. probably had, um, I'd say I probably had close to 80 wins, if not more in high school. Wow. And wow. I actually got recruited more out of high school for wrestling than I did for running. No kidding. Yeah. So um, running, what? So we lost contact after high school. So where where did your and then we reconnected at Monmouth, and we'll get to that in a minute. But 
you know, what was that evolution to, to Mammoth to um, even post where now you're doing ultras? Yeah, I mean, I uh, went to Mammoth. I transferred to Mammoth. I originally went to Springfield, which at the time was a Division II school. And um, one, I wasn't super stoked there. Um, and two, I just thought that I was, for better or worse, thought that I was a little bit better than a Division II athlete, you know. Um, and right at that time, they had a coaching change, and, and Coach, Coach Joe came on board. And uh, I had transferred to Ocean County College and was running there. And, um, you know, I had some friends that were at Monmouth, like Rich, Rich Corcoran was at Monmouth. Yeah, Dickie. Um, he's <laughs> Dickie, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we had always been friends through Cole Camp and stuff like that. And he was there and we were training together at the time. And so he kind of helped Coach Joe along with the recruiting process and, and – um, there was potential there with what coach was doing and um I've always liked being a part of 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 successful teams and stuff so to have been able to say that I was on the first conference championship team that that coach Joe had ever won and then now to see that he how many he's amassed since I left then and that was 20 plus years ago which is even crazy to think about but yeah um yeah so I mean I ran all through college and then 20s I wasn't I didn't really take things too seriously I you know growing up at the Jersey Shore you learn for better or worse how to live a little bit uh, out of control and and <laughs> so it was being being a you know a Jersey Shore kid going going to the nightclubs and stuff like that but I always yeah. still was training and stuff and then um started coaching and then I started taking things a little bit more seriously again and then you're looking at all right, I'm, I'm a role model or I'm inspiring or motivating these kids and stuff. So, um, got back into it and started taking it a little bit more seriously, but it wasn't until, uh, like 2009 when I really even thought about running a marathon. Really? So what was the prompt to, do, to go do that? Uh, I started doing uh, CrossFit endurance and, uh, you know, was into the methodology and, and, I'd always kind of been a gym rat because of, of wrestling, you know, so the strength training kind of went hand in hand and I liked doing that sort of stuff and decided let's, let's give this a go. Let's see if you can run a marathon, a competitive marathon um, with very low volume and uh, you know, a, a lot more strength and conditioning. So that was what kind of opened the door to the marathon. And then within uh probably within a year, uh, within a year and a half, then it was the first ultra. Really? So, and which was your first ultra? So I did the 20 and 24. It was, um, eight and a half mile loop around the Schuylkill river. And I had, uh, I had done it once as a team and had a blast doing it. And so, um, I was living in California at the time, tra training with Brian McKenzie and, knew that that race went on and also thought it would be a good opportunity to go home and, and visit everyone. So signed up and went and did that. And that was really the first, uh, the real test of like this whole low volume, high strength and conditioning stuff and, and see where it went and then go from there. Yeah. It's something I just recently discovered in the last year or so. Um, so, so with that, during that time frame, you know, 
it is the rest and recovery podcast. So what were the tools you used, the methods you used, whether it became uh, the periodization in the active recovery during those training programs or even kind of something more intensive? What were some of those methods you used? You know, I mean, tried and true has always been ice baths. Um, and that was something that I picked up early and was doing that all through college. And so those have always kind of been a mainstay. When I have the opportunity and the ability, I'll do contrast baths because I, I feel like those are, those are really, really, really beneficial and have had a lot of success uh, in buildups and preparing for, for ultras with the contrast baths. Um, and then, you know, at that time I was fortunate enough where I was living and who I was working with and stuff that I had the opportunity to work with Kelly Storette multiple times Wow! and got into, you know, the whole mobility watt sort of stuff and, and learning how to kind of triage, um, you know, problems and figure out things and prevent them before you have to go to the doctor or to, to avoid going to the doctor altogether. So I've always since that time I've always used like mobility and those sorts of things that, you know, Kelly has provided for the last almost decade now. Um, and then other things along when I have access to them, you know, whether it's either friends that are showing up for races that have the, uh, Norma tech boots, I'll jump in them. There's a, um, there's a recovery place here in Denver that has, um, that has the comp, not the, well, they have compacts, but they have the, um, I just said it, the boots. Uh, Normatech. Normatech, yeah. yeah. So I, I like those, I'll use those. But I mean, the main thing that I've learned in, in terms of uh, recovery uh, is that there's no such thing as overtraining, there's just under recovered. Um, and so. Interesting distinction. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I picked up, uh, in my travels, uh, working in the CrossFit community and stuff. It was, a uh, Olympic, Olympic weightlifting coach. Um, and his philosophy was that there's no such thing as overtraining. There's just under recovered. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty true because the times when I've put in big, big blocks of volume, like say preparing for Leadville, when my recovery's on point, um, I have no issues like getting out there and doing 85, 90 plus mile weeks, um, repetitively, you know, like consecutively, yeah. uh, it's when, it's when those sorts of things, I don't take care of myself. That is when I feel things and, and, um, you know, 60 miles beats me up pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm sure. So how would you, so what does that look like practically? <laughs> you know, you said if your recovery is on point, um, what would a week look like for preparing for something like a Leadville or any of those ultras? Uh, you know, when, when I'm gearing up for, you know, in that, that buildup phase, uh, I'll typically, let's say two, three, if I can get there, uh, sessions at the gym. Um, and then when I'm in that phase, it's usually just mostly the power lifts. So squat in various forms deadlift in various forms and then various variations of, of pressing. Um, and then your calisthenic or gymnastic movements like pull-ups, you know, if I could, if I could go back in time to my 16 year old self, the two main things I would tell myself would be to do pull-ups and eat vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. 
Mom was right. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until, I can honestly say, it wasn't until I got into my 30s that I really started to intentionally eat vegetables. And what, what drove that? Was it something you learned about, yeah, you know, what we all know, eat your vegetables, but there's some nutritional value for reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, you can, if your nutrition is on point, you can you can recover, you're going to feel better. Um, and that's just part of this evolution too, is just learning, you know, we are an experimental one. And so mm-hmm. the more tuned in you are with your body, um, the more, you're, the more feedback you're going to be able to pay attention to, you know, yeah. I, um, and so things like dairy, gluten, processed sugar, you know, when you start removing those things and then you reintroduce them, you really start to see what, how much havoc it wreaks on, on your body and the, with your sleep patterns, all those sorts of things. So for me, it's like, I, I don't sleep well enough as it is. I have sleep apnea. Um, so if those sorts of things, if I remove them from my diet and I'm going to feel better and I'm going to sleep better, then I'm going to do that. And yeah. So it was just trial and error. And then just, and then also as you, remove you know the especially the processed sugar like vegetables actually taste good <laughs> it's amazing you how know? good they taste right it's it's crazy you know and so um yeah i mean as as i've been evolving and removing these things and eating cleaner and being healthier um you just start to see how the, how bad those things are for you whether it's your mental output you know whether it's your sleep um and yeah like all of a sudden they start tasting better and you're like oh i can eat broccoli i like it <laughs> yeah yeah i i had a similar epiphany with uh brussels sprouts i used to never eat yeah. those suckers but now it's like i i love them i love them yeah it's amazing how yeah. you just um you know you stop eating some of that stuff we went gluten-free like six years ago and how it just kind of opens up uh a new world of flavor of um you know, just experiencing food and just realizing the depth of food actually is, it's not just stuff to put in your face. Um, no, it's everything. It's everything. And you know, the big thing I, the biggest takeaway for me with gluten, um, you know, I can, I can deal with the inflammation. I can deal with the GI issues, but for me on the back end, I really find that there's like a, a mental like dump where I'm not fun to be around for a day or two. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not present. I'm in my head. I'm thinking things. Um, sometimes I'm a little blue. And so for me, like I'd rather eat a cheeseburger wrapped in lettuce and feel good than have the bun. And then for the next day later being miserable. Yeah, no, I could totally relate. I had the same exact experience, um, where just kind of brain fog sets in and, uh, can't go, can't go wrong with a good burger. Um, so circling back to the, the recovery piece, you know, it, it seems that especially preparing for the volume of mileage for Leadville or any of the others out there, how often do you do, you know, some of the different modalities like a, a bath? Is it like, do you do that daily, twice a day? Um, do you use compression pants or anything like that to help during the training? So in the three years that I, or two of the three years that I prepared for Leadville, I was 
uh, I was working in Vail. And so at the Vail Athletic Club, they have in their medical room, they have a cold tub and a whirlpool, a hop whirlpool. And so I was going there. I had a membership there and I would go there every day. And so I would either work out in Leadville um, or I would go work out in Vail or hit the gym in Vail. And then every day I would do 10 minutes in the, in the steam room. And then after that, I would do anywhere, depending on what time I had to be to work, I would do anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes of uh, five minute contrast. So I would do five minutes in the cold and then go five minutes in the hot. And I would go back and forth like that for 20 to 30 minutes. And you could tell, you know, a big difference within yourself, like before you started doing those types of things. Yeah, because I, you know, before the first Leadville, um, I had convinced myself that I was like a low volume guy. And that if I did more than say 60 miles, 65 miles, 70 miles, then I'm really, you know, putting myself in a position where I might pick up an injury, uh, you know, an overuse injury, be it, um, you know, something with my Achilles tendon or uh, hip pains. And so when I got to Leadville and then did a tour of the Vale Athletic Center and saw that they had this, I was like, here's my membership. Um, and yeah, and so that the, in those two months when I was in Leadville leading up to the hundred, I had done, um, you know, I'd worked up to a hundred miles a week. I had run a 50 miler and then literally a week later did a 32 mile run with a buddy, um, and like felt fine. And then obviously the first year I went up there and I got seventh. Um, wow. so that's amazing. Yeah, Top I mean, I never. Finish. That's awesome. Yeah, I was I was pretty stoked on it, and uh, you know, going into that, my main goal was just to finish under twenty five hours. You know, that so, was the only. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So what? I the very little I I've done marathons, but not the hundred miles. So what is kind of an expect the top runner going to finish in? Uh, so. For Leadville, the course record is uh, 15 hours and 42 minutes. Wow. And that's by Scott Carpenter in 2005. And legend has it that he's the only person that has ever run every single step of the course. So, like, there's a section, there's a, there's a it's, it's a 20-mile section uh, where you go from 40 miles to 50 miles at the turnaround. And then you turn around and go back. But in that section, you go from 9,200 feet to 12,600 feet. Holy so, heaven. yeah. So for most everybody, like there's at least parts of that where you have to hike. Um, and Matt Carpenter has been the only person to ever supposedly run the whole course. Rob Carr has gone under 16 hours as well. Um, and then for for people that are signing up, like the goal is to get the big buckle and the big buckle is under 25 hours. Okay. They also have, they also have a, a 30 hour finisher cutoff where um, if you still finish under 30 hours, you get a smaller buckle, but everyone wants like that big rancher cowboy under 25 hour buckle. Nice. And so uh, I jumped in there, but your seventh play finish, how'd you fare on that one? It was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, that's another thing is one of my things is I don't, I don't run with a watch. Um, so I had me. no, 
No, I don't. I, I gave up the after. So that first year in 2011, when I did the 20 and 24, I also did two trail ultras that year. And that was the first trail ultras that I ever did. And before that, really, like coming from the shore, you know, like Holmdel Park or Hartshorn yeah. Woods, like that's my that's my headspace of trail running. Yeah. Um, and so the first 50 K that I did started at 6,000 feet and went 15 and a half miles down the mountain and then turned around and went 15 and a half miles back up the mountain. So I had my watch and at one point I looked down and it had taken me like five minutes to go a quarter mile. And so coming from the road where, you know, like, walking is just like blasphemy you know it's like sacrilegious you don't yeah, do it so yeah. that that first trail ultra that i did where i had a hike it was really like humbling to me because i just had never you just a real mental it. mental game there yeah so for so after that time i took my watch off and so pretty much i mean i'll use strava and stuff like that but i don't have any sort of updates or anything i'll i'll check it and look at it where when I get done, but everything that I do, I, I'm trying to do everything on feel and pay attention to that sensory data. So, um, in Leadville that first year, when I picked up a pacer, he kept asking me, he's like, Oh, do you want to know what your time is? Do you want to know where you're at? Da, da, da. And I'm like, no, I'll find out when I get to the finish line. Like, he's <laughs> like, you're doing, he's, you're doing great. Are you sure you, you don't want to know? And I'm like, no, man. I'm like, I'm just here to get a big belt buckle. And he looked at his watch and he's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to do that. And so <laughs> nice. uh, we, we kept, we kept pushing on and he asked me one more time and I'm like, nah, man, I'll, we're, we're almost at the finish. I'll find out soon enough. And so when I got to the finish line, you know, everyone's high-fiving me and the, the race directors, they put the medal around me and they give me a hug and everything. And I'm like, Hey, what place am I in? And they're like, <laughs> dude, you got seventh. <laughs> Dang. That's incredible. So yeah, That's it was incredible. a good day. Yeah, I, a good day for sure. Good for you, man. I don't, I don't know how you live off a watch. I uh, I probably look at it too much, but uh, but to your point, you know, it's it's just knowing yourself um, and really understanding your body, how it interacts, and uh, getting a feel for the road um, and the pacing. Yeah, and you know, the, and that's another kind of in thing now is is like you know with the oxygen advantage and some of the other Wim Hof and some of the other people like breathing is like the in thing now um but it's really beneficial if you don't use your watch to worry about your pace and let your breathing dictate your pace you so know? you mentioned and, oxygen advantage so mm -hmm. do you use breathing methods uh, when I'm running, I do, you know, I, I try to have a, a rhythmic, uh, like a three or a four count inhale, exhale. Um, and I try to do everything in and out of my nose, at least for my, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm doing my aerobic work, I'm trying to always be nasal breathing. And then in race situations, I know that if I'm running like this past weekend, I ran a, a half marathon and I know that if I'm, you know, one, two, three, four, five miles into the race and I'm already mouth breathing, I'm probably already, you know, getting closer and closer to being anaerobic. And, you know, that's not going to do me any good because once in a, in a half marathon or a road marathon, once you pop, like you've popped. 
Right. At least, in, at least in an ultra, you can kind of unbonk yourself. You know what I mean? You can, you can take a half hour and sit down and put a cold towel on your head and regroup and, and get out there and crush it. Like people yeah. do it all the time. You know, like Scott Jurek was like dead to rights at, at um, Badwater 135 one year, you know, and he took a, took a half hour, an hour off and then regrouped and came back and, and broke the course record. Yeah. Wow. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. That <laughs> the marathon is, is closer to a sprint and kind of like you were talking about, it's sacrilegious to stop uh, up to the marathon po- point or you don't want to uh, for too long, depending on your right. goal. And if you're, and if you're getting after it, you know, like if you're, let's just say, even if like qualifying for Boston, like that's, that's a hard effort for almost everyone other than, than the elites. Um, you know, so you're, you're fueling more on glycogen, you know, and if you're not practicing that and keeping up on your, with your glycogen intake or your fuel intake, you're going to bonk, you know, yeah. and if you bonk in a marathon, sure you can suck back a couple of gels and maybe drink a cup of Coke, but like that pace that you were at or who you were with, you're not catching them. Yeah. Yeah. You're but done. In, but you're done in, over point. the course of a hundred miles, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. So for nutrition, how do you fuel out on that, that course? Uh, I try to be pretty regimented with my variety. Um, you know, I, I tend to, like I said before, earlier, eat pretty clean and I don't necessarily subscribe to say like keto or carnivore or paleo or anything like that. But there are times like some nights I may just eat a steak other nights I just made might eat a plate of vegetables. Um, but when it comes to racing, like for an ultra, I'll, uh, I'm trying to get in say like 150 to 200 calories every hour. Um, and that, and that literally starts at the, like that clock starts at the starting line, you know, like as soon as the gun goes off that hour, an hour in, and you're already putting fuel in, you know, so you have to have a little bit of variety. Um, you can't just do sweet stuff because over the course yeah. of 15 to 24 to 30 hours, like your body's just not going to be able to deal with all that sugar and it's going to start coming up. So um, I'll do beef jerky. Like I love Epic bars, you know, and over the course Big of a hundred miles, I'll, yeah, I'll put down like five or six Epic bars over the course of a hundred miles. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah, um, those are great. And then, yeah, they're really good. And then, it, you know what, it just gets to a certain point um, where it's just a matter of what's appetizing, you know, at like 70 miles, like when you come into an aid station and all of a sudden you see like a big bowl of potato chips. I mean, it's like, you're talking, you're thinking like it's your last meal, you know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're famished or just like you just need a little salt or something to change your palate. So, you know, after say like beyond 50 miles, 60, 70 miles, when you come into an age station, it's like, you know, sure you've practiced all this and you have all these, your, your specific gels and your specific bars and stuff like that. But when you're that late in the race and something is appetizing, you know, like I'm going to take a handful of gummy bears and a a handful of Fritos and I'm going to get out, out the door. So like it gets to a certain point where like the, the gloves just come off and whatever's appetizing and, and is going to fuel you. Like, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Just fuel up and, and keep chugging along. 
So yeah, I mean the best. Good. I was gonna say the best. The best advice I've ever gotten was uh, the week before Leadville. There was a gentleman I was at the Airbnb with, and he was a retired Polish special forces, and he had he had done the Lead Man series like five or six times, and he was sixty years old. And in this very wow. thick, thick Polish accent, he said, "If you don't eat and drink, you will die." <laughs> Words of wisdom. Words yeah, of wisdom. It was, it was awesome. So um, you mentioned you did some coaching. So where are you taking that now? Are you? I think you have a black sheep endurance, right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, it, it, when I was in the thick of of CrossFit, uh, you know, sipping the Kool Aid pretty hard, you know, um, it was running wad. And that was kind of my spin off of lower vo- lower volume, but not say like CrossFit endurance low volume. Um, and then incorporating strength training into the running, you know, because that was um, the big takeaway was like, there's certain aspects of strength and conditioning that need to be done on a regular basis, but right. you can still do volume. You know, that was my key takeaway from that, those two years that I spent doing that. And so it, it evolved into that. And then now after Leadville, the first time where I definitely would say I've focused more on the running aspect than than the strength and conditioning, although I still do that. Um, And so with the coaching, most of the people that I work with now are ultra marathoners, just because that's kind of the world I've been living in, in the last you know, five or six, seven years. Um, but, um, man, if there's someone out there that wants to try to run sub four minute mile, I'd I'd love to coach a coach a miler, you know, cause I, I coached, I coached at the high school level for a decade. You know, I spent some time working with coach Joe at Mama to helping him out. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm on let's run every day. Um, you know, it's where I consume my running content. I just, I love all aspects of running. So like when people are like, Oh, you're an ultra marathoner. I'm like, no, I'm just a runner. You know, I've already run, um, I've run three, five K's and a four mile race already this year. Um, and and then I'll run Boston in a couple of weeks and, and the Oklahoma Memorial marathon the Sunday after that. So I'll have two marathons within six days. Oh, wow. Well, I guess you're conditioned for that with all the ultras, but, uh, so are you, um, where are you evolving the coaching from? Are you looking for clients or are you going back to the school or? No, I mean, I, I, I like the, the, the free flowing format of, of, you know, coaching with, um, I guess you call them open athletes. Um, I'm not opposed to, you know, coaching at, at a team. I think knowing what I know now versus what I knew when I started in 1998 coaching high school kids, it would be a much different experience for everyone involved. You know, now, now my goal is, you know, longevity. And I want, if I were to coach a group of high school kids, like I want them to have the skill set and the passion to want to do this for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, sure, sure. Results are important and yeah, we want to run fast, but you know, you might be a late bloomer and you know, it it may take you, you know, a year or two after college to, to have the right, you know, the success that you think that you're capable of having, you know, and and it's unfortunate that we live in this 
you know, the, the world that we live in today where everything is like such instant gratification and everything is at the click of the fingertips. I mean, I could be sitting here talking to you and I could order my dinner and have it delivered here by the time we finish this, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and that, that was one of the things that I learned as a high schooler too, or looking back on it was like, everything was so results driven. And so like, you know, I, I learned how to run hard and, and go hard and yeah, I got some results, but looking back on it and knowing what I know now, how much, you know, how, how, how were those results skewed because I was overtraining all the time. Right. And I may not have ever gotten hurt. I may not have ever gotten mono or any of those sorts of things, but clearly like knowing what I know now, like I was training, overtraining on my easy runs, you know, like, right. Kind of, we would show up we would show up at the reservoir and it wasn't uncommon to be running under six minute miles for 10 miles with the Bennett brothers and George Kochman and, yeah. and Jim Pilla and you know a bunch of other guys and Dickie would be there and we would just go out and bang and it would be like last man standing like whoever's <laughs> gonna hold their hand in the fire and that was like five, four days, or a five week. days a week in the summer yeah you know and so I would just coaching high school kids now would just want them to know that like there's more to the results and even though you may not be satisfied with your results it's going to come if you're just dedicated and you work hard but let's work smart too yeah play the long game and the other thing too i think looking back and that you're touching on is is the strength element you know it was just high volume intense volume and no strength so you had no infrastructure really holding the body together um but you know that was that was all of running it wasn't just you know where we were in high school i mean that's what all the elites were doing too they were just pounding out the miles with virtually no strength i think our senior year we just started doing some semblance of weight training and it was like circuit training so it was not heavy stuff um yeah and and, you know it's it's funny because that's it's changing now but i think a lot of endurance athletes live in that world where they're doing, you know, low weight, high volume circuit training, you know, high intensity CrossFit, orange theory, whatever it may be. And they consider that, that that's like strength training. And although when you're starting from zero, sure, you're going to get a little bit stronger, but at the end of the day, like those, those, those anaerobic beatdowns are, you know, you don't need those because if you're doing the right kind of training, you're getting your anaerobic running sports specifically with your intervals or your tempo runs or your threshold intervals or whatever it may be like, and those things beat you up a little bit, you know, like a 20, 30, 40 minute high intensity circuit workout is going to leave you way more sore than say a five by five back squat or, you know, deadlifts a little, little touchy, you know, that can, that can light yeah. you up pretty good if, you, if you're putting, putting up some big numbers. But um, generally, if you're doing things the right way and you're using the percentages, um, you know, it's going to make you feel refreshed and you're going to be able to come back. Whereas a 30 minute, you know, hit class, you know, you may be wrecked for two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes similar to the volume. Uh, you know, I've been doing marathons for probably the last decade and only recently discovered, you know, Brian McKenzie, you mentioned him, power speed endurance is his uh, variation now and been doing that for nine months. And um, you mentioned the word refreshed. That's how I feel. 
I mean, I was doing 50, 60 miles a week and I was just wasted in every aspect of my life. Uh, and now I'm like, I feel the strongest I've ever felt at 44 refreshed hitting some numbers that I was like mentally thinking I'm not sure I could hit again. And, uh, I'm feeling charged up about it. And I, that refreshed piece is a key element. Yeah. You know, and I think whenever you add a new stimulus, um, there's going to be that adaptation and there's going to be that, you know, that rise to the peak. Um, and I think it's, just having that variety. And then as you learn through those sorts of things, you know, maybe once through this, you know, as it, maybe is it, if it levels off, you know, that then maybe that's where the volume comes in. You start slowly incrementally incorporating a little bit more volume. Um, and then that, so that's where like running a lot in black sheep came from was like, Oh man, this stuff is really good. And there's a lot of, you know, I mean, the, the stuff that I learned, the takeaways were, uh, you know, just the strength training alone, but then having guys like Kelly and Carl Pally and some of those other guys where it's just you, in the early days of CrossFit, it was all about movement right. you know, and how, you, how well you were moving and how good your technique was. And then once the, the rise of the games came around, then it was just about like, let's go smash shit. Um, <laughs> and people, people, you know, it wasn't about the movement, you know, and that right. was the key takeaway for me was, okay, we need to get stronger and we need to move better. Um, and so putting those things together, when you have sound mechanics, like you can, like goes back to, there's no such thing as overtraining, there's under recovery. So like when you're, when people are doing that sort of high volume and maybe they get like tendonitis in their knee or, you know, Achilles issues or whatever, that's your body's natural way of telling you you're not moving properly. It's not that it's not necessarily, it could be the amount of volume you're doing if you're doing too much volume too soon. But if you're regularly doing that volume and things start to pop up more than likely, it's because you're not moving properly. Okay. Okay. You know, and that's the thing too, with running specifically is that, you know, running is a skill just like hitting a baseball, hitting a golf ball, swimming a 400 freestyle, you know, coming out of the starting blocks. There's a technique to it. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. But because, you know, it's the natural human progression is that you crawl, then you walk, and then you run, you know, unless you were fortunate enough to work with a really high level coach, you know, most of the time you weren't getting like mechanics instruction. Yeah. Yeah. It was always about, uh, you know, developing the engine, not developing the chassis. Right. Yeah. Completely agree. Well, um, Rich, we're running up on time, but before we close out, I had a few final questions for you. Yeah, sure. Um, so first, what are you reading right now? And FYI audible counts. Okay. Um, so right now I have three things in rotation and I have to be completely honest. I'm actually not reading anything right now. I've been, been a bit lazy. I have three books that are started, so I'll give you those. Um, the first one I got was um, Graham Hancock's new book, America Before. And I got that. Uh, but I, then I also had an opportunity to see him speak here in Denver. Um, and so he basically in an hour and a half kind of went through his entire book. Um, so, and it's, it's, it's a bit heady, you know what I mean? So it's, um, you gotta, you know, 
have the time to to sit down to be able to digest some some of his stuff but uh i love all of his work another good one that he has is uh fingerprints of the gods never heard of these okay yes i mean i could get into it but yeah be another podcast but check, <laughs> yeah. check check graham out he's got a pretty well cool, uh you know the basis of what graham is doing in his research is he's saying that we are um we are basically a lost civilization with amnesia and that, um, you know, structures like the pyramids and, you know, Machu Picchu and some of these other Gobekli Tepe, um, his theory is that the, these structures were built by advanced civilizations. And then there was this cataclysmic event that kind of wiped out civilization for the most part, you know, and that's kind of where we come in as this hunter gatherer type that kind of rebuilt um, and moved into the pyramids. So he's got some pretty interesting things. The other book I have is uh, Swoosh. And Swoosh is the uh, unauthorized uh, biography of Nike's history. Okay. And so I got that Great. after um, all the all the stuff with Salazar went down. Um, someone had and on some form it, it's recommended swoosh because there's a chapter in swoosh about or a couple of parts in uh swoosh about athletic athletics west which was like the original you know oregon project back in the day in the you know right. late 70s early 80s and yeah sort of kind of nike's involvement with that so i wanted to read about that to see if there was anything else in there other than what i already had known um but i mean it's just a cool story to hear about you know nike coming up through what they did you know they may not yeah. be maybe people might not be as stoked or support them as much now you know when in today's society but what phil knight did and bill bowerman did back in the day was pretty amazing yeah i mean that's especially from from any perspective but from running lore i mean that's just that's like vince lombardi right yeah, there absolutely and then the last one I have is called Boom Days. And that is about uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, moving to Oklahoma. Cool. All right. What are you listening to right now, music or podcast? Oh, man. Music-wise, I am a househead. I love house music. Um, you know, a lot of times my mood dictates what I listen to, and it kind of runs the gamut from old school, old school, like, OG country to, you know, uh, if Katy Perry's on, I'll bop my head to it. But, um, <laughs> usually if I'm, if I'm picking music to put on, especially if I'm up training, it's going to be like some, some house music or some other sort of EDM type music. It's just kind of, you know, no words and just beats and, and you can kind of like get into a rhythm Rhythmic, and feel yeah. your flow a little bit. Um, and then podcast wise, um, my favorite podcast for electronic music is called Dance Department, and that's out of uh, the Netherlands. Uh, I'm an OG Joe Rogan fan. I've been on board with him since, you know, probably the first 10 ever episodes he recorded. My brother really? turned me on to him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then other, you know, in terms of like strength and conditioning and, and, and sport performance and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of John Wellborn and power athlete radio. All right. That's a new one. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. John is a, a 10 year NFL veteran 
and uh, he has uh, he used to be involved with CrossFit. He did CrossFit football, and then CrossFit did away with all their specialty seminars. So now he has his own, uh, you know, seminars and, and lectures and and um, uh, courseworks and stuff for for certifications and stuff like that for coaches. Okay. Um, and so he's just a, a wealth of knowledge, and um, yeah, he's he's definitely someone I look to in terms of. Uh, content for, for strength and conditioning and, and sports and recovery. Um, I, I'm a, you know, wrestler through and through. So I listen to uh flow wrestling live. And then I like Mario Frioli's uh, morning shakeout for running. Uh, London reels usually has some good episodes. Yeah. I've been listening to that one lately. Yeah. Um, Tim Ferriss, you know, he's usually got some, some good episodes. Uh, definitely one that I would recommend to go through back into the archives and look at would be Charles Poliquin. Okay. I'll do that. Yeah. And then, um, if you just want to laugh and you like funny stories, the honeydew podcast is one of my favorites for just like, laughing honeydew nice i'll check that one out so what's your go-to rest and recovery method ice bath ice bath yep it's easy it's convenient i can fill my tub up with cold water and go to the 7-eleven around the block and and pick up a bag of ice and and just get in there um in the winter time i i don't do cold showers nearly as much as i should um just because the water here in Colorado is pretty cold in the winter time. <laughs> Just go outside. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, go-to is definitely um, ice baths. And then I have my own complex here at the house. So I'll do that. And then like, where is it? I've got these things all over the house. So I'll use mobility wad or I have uh, okay. ready, ready to run, I think is his running book. Yeah. So. Those, those are my go-tos. And then obviously just nutrition, you know, if your head hurts, drink water. If your joints hurt, drink water. Supplementation, <laughs> supplementation is big too. Yeah. You know, you, I, definitely in today's uh, day and age, you know, there's some of our vegetables and stuff just because of farming and whatnot are probably lacking in nutrients. So um, I, I'm a believer in, in supplements and have a, do you have a regiment or like a specific yeah, I mean, go-to? I have a couple things that I, you know, uh, go to every day. You know, a lot of those I got from Charles Poliquin, who is in that, that Tim Ferriss podcast. But uh, real quick, daily is uh, first thing in the morning is liquid fish oil. Okay. And I, would, I would recommend to anyone that's uh, – that is already taking fish oil if they're consuming it in pill form that they should get rid of that and they should switch over to the liquid why is that uh it's just it absorbs into the bloodstream faster you know what i mean your body doesn't have to break down the gel capsule okay and sense. usually like if you're using a really good liquid fish oil the the potency and and the amount that you're getting in a teaspoon versus the amount that you would have to take in the capsules to equal that like sometimes you might, you might have to take 20, 30 pills a day to equal what you might get in a liquid teaspoon. Oh, wow. You'd be consuming a lot and buying a whole lot of pills. Yeah. So what, what brand do you use? Uh, I'm a, 
uh, SFH, Stronger, Faster, Healthier. Okay. I've been with them since pretty much since I started doing the CrossFit and the ultras. I got, I met uh, Patricia back in 2010 and I had been taking capsules before that. And so she was the first one that hit me to the liquid. And I, at the time I didn't eat fish. Like I was just like, that was not on the menu. At all, ever. <laughs> um, so like the, the thought of like taking in a teaspoon or a tablespoon of just liquid fish juice was, she was like, I, just trust me. I swear it's not going to be like that. And so they have five different flavors. They have a lemon, they have an orange, they have a chocolate, they have a vanilla and they have a mint. Um, and it's really good. And it's, it's the highest potency. Like it's better than Carlson's It's better than Nordic naturals. Like it's, and it's third party tested. That's the other thing for people that are, you know, into supplements or taking supplements or thinking about taking supplements. You always want to look to make sure that the stuff is third party tested. That's great advice. Great advice. Um, well, cool. So how can people find you? Uh, Black Sheep Endurance is the website for the coaching and all that good stuff. Uh, on Twitter and on Facebook, it's just Rich Airy. And then uh, my Instagram handle is 100 Mile Dick. Um, and so that, that's, that's where the people can find me. I also have Black Sheep Endurance. There's an account for Black Sheep Endurance on uh, on Instagram. And that's usually where I just, I'm posting photos of my clients and, and them at their races and what they're doing. Stuff yeah. like that. I dig the jerseys for black sheep. Very colorful. Yeah. That's one of, one of my clients does all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, just trying to draw attention to yourself. You know, David Lee Roth said, it, uh, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, but how good you look doing it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Van Halen quote there. Oh yeah, it's definitely Van Halen, not Van Hager. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rich man, uh, great to reconnect. Appreciate your time and, and joining us here. And uh, absolutely, have a good night. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Good luck. Uh, you run in New Jersey, right? Yep, April twenty sixth, day before Boston. Sweet. So, well, good luck to you, and uh, hopefully everything works out, and I'll be rooting for you. Put Thanks, man. Out there. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. right Take care. Bye.